It's time to craft your winning plan. You're listening to Scaling Up with host Tim Maitland, where industry experts in sales and business deliver the insights you need to step up your game. Let's scale up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Scaling Up. I'm your host, Tim Maitland, and today we are talking with another C-level executive who we're all going to be able to learn exactly what we need to learn about in today's marketing world. You know, there's a big shift right now where marketing is moving into media. And you look at a lot of traditional areas like advertising and trade shows, and marketers are scratching their heads wondering, should we pivot from that and become our own publisher, our own educator, and how do we go about doing that? So today to tackle those topics and much more, we have an incredible thought leader with us. He is the chief marketing officer at Chief Outsiders, and he's also the founder and CEO of Livestream Interchange. He really needs no introduction, but let's give him one anyways. Let's go ahead and uh, give a round of applause for Randy Brown. Randy, how are you? Hey, Tim. A great introduction. Thanks. I really appreciate (laughs) it. Doing well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, really glad to have you on. You know, I think we share uh, two passions in our life, Randy. Uh, Obviously, that of, you know, B2B and marketing, we, we share that. And then uh, I understand Absolutely. that we're both huge car guys. Cars are our passion. For sure. You know, I, I grew up uh, around cars. My 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 parents had a 64 and a half uh, must, convertible Mustang, which was great when I was little. Uh, he, he then moved up to a, a Corvair and then to a Buick Grand Sport. And actually, we, we've still got an old 73 Pontiac in the, wow. in the garage. And it's uh, it's got a, a 7.4 liter 455 cubic inch engine in it, which is great. Gosh, that that's muscle. It is. <laughs> Would you say was this car is a way that you, you bonded with your dad growing up? I know that that's how I got into it was uh, just bonding with my dad since he was, he always called himself a mechanic who happened to own a company as opposed to a businessman who, you know, enjoyed being a mechanic on the side. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting how that started. And, you know, uh, over the years, I really graduated into at least liking, I could never afford them, but some of the more exotic cars and living in Miami now, I really get to enjoy those. They're, they're like pieces of art, you know, on wheels with the Lamborghinis and the Ferraris and McLarens and all those great exotic cars as well. No kidding. One of my favorite things when I'm in Miami is just grabbing lunch there on South Beach and getting a patio seat just to watch literally the most exotic cars in the world drive by. It's kind of a uh, car fan's paradise. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you're welcome anytime and any of our audience for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd, I'd love to take you up on that. Maybe we'll do a volume two episode at uh, Barrett Jackson car auction. There or something you go. One day. Exactly. <laughs> so Randy, uh, thanks for joining today. I'm really excited for the audience uh, to be able to learn uh, directly from you. And uh, let's just give the audience a little bit of a background of you know, Randy Brown. You know, Let's start with with your history, kind of getting into the world of, of B2B and marketing. We'd love for you to to share that background with everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I'll try to be, you know, a little bit brief here. I, I started my career out of college with uh, Kenna Metal in the metal cutting arena as an engineer, actually, and moved up through that organization over my roughly 20-year career there uh, out of engineering into marketing and actually uh, ended up running a $100 million P&L in Europe for, uh, for a few years. So it actually gave me a great perspective on the financial piece or component of the business as a marketing executive through the rest of my career. And that's been extremely valuable to me. 
I moved on from Kenna Metal to Dover Corporation. And at Dover, uh, I was with an operating company there, a few hundred million dollar operating company. And I was very fortunate in that I had the opportunity to be on a team that championed the strategic planning template for the entire $8 billion organization. So again, both of those publicly traded companies, but gave me really great exposure to operating company presidents uh, who, were, who were managing P&Ls and also really you know, focused on driving organic growth. And, uh, and then most recently uh, with Echo Safety Group in Boise, Idaho, running their global marketing as well. And I'll say all of those roles, you know, over my 30 year history have spanned uh, publicly traded companies and private companies, as well as family office and private equity owned companies. So it's, I've been really fortunate to just get a really great diverse mix of experience over my career. No kidding. Yeah, obviously, definitely two different areas when you have a private company, a family owned company, and then, uh, you know, that private equity world, uh, obviously, lots of different environments there. And tell me a little bit about, you know, obviously, you're the, the founder and CEO of Livestream Interchange. Uh, you know, it sounds like that's a whole nother path too, where you're the uh, for lack of a better term, head honcho paving the way. I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, you know that business and and what you guys are really doing to evolve marketing. Absolutely. Um, you know the reason I'm on the call today, Tim, joining you. I'm really excited to be here is because I've got a real passion for getting the message out there to tenured and all of the up and coming you know marketing leaders in the country about putting the big M into marketing. And I still, you know, see it today where a lot of the focus is on the the last tactical piece of marketing when there's really some really important strategic upstream activities that need to happen as well. So what we're doing with Livestream is we, uh, we have uh, advisory forums that actually help articulate what that process looks like and how that can help marketing uh, leaders be more effective in driving organic growth in their businesses. Fantastic. You know, marketing is is one of those things that, you know, I think can get a rap of, hey, if, if we're struggling with revenue, something like a pandem- pandemic pops up, it's the first thing we cut. But also it's one of those, it has a wrap of, it's absolutely essential uh, for a business. What do you think as a, just an expert and seeing it all at different types of companies, what do you think kind of creates the paradigm where some businesses see marketing as the first thing to go and, and other companies see marketing as the the backbone, the foundation that a company needs to invest in? Yeah, it's a gr- it's a great question. I I think part of that, you know, challenge is that the focus for so long has been just on the discretionary spend component of marketing, you know, which is the marketing budget and all the stuff that we see every day that especially traditionally like advertising and PR and trade shows and events and things like that, you know, where there's a fairly hefty discretionary spend allocated to that. But when when you actually look at the total upstream through downstream activities that add value in a business and drive value creation, there are a lot of uh, extremely important processes in there that are not necessarily consuming uh, discretionary marketing spend, but still add a huge amount of value. And so I think it kind of gets back to the conversation on, you know, why live stream and why chief outsiders. And this is, this is part of what we're trying to do is 
make sure that that process is clearly understood so that uh, you know teams and executives can utilize it and and still not have to cut actually in many examples. No, for sure. And uh, I think the way Chief Outsiders describes it is is fractional CMO. So exactly. working with Chief Outsiders, let's say I'm a you know, let's say I'm a twenty million dollar business, and I'm looking into Chief Outsiders. What would fractional CMO services mean for me in that regard? Great question. So we partner with uh, small and mid sized companies that are typically actually humming along pretty well operationally, but they're frustrated with delivering on their organic growth targets. So what a fractional is, is we actually install part-time chief marketing officers. We've all actually, like I mentioned earlier, have we've all worked in operating roles with P&L responsibility. There's about 80 CMOs across the nation at Chief Outsiders. And we actually become a part of the CEO's leadership team and help bring their growth vision to reality. And we've got a very simple, powerful market-based framework that we call the growth gears. And this is what we leverage to help CEOs jumpstart growth. Yeah. To, to, to jump ahead to growth gears, because that, that's something that I, I definitely want to talk about. I, I think even the tagline of it uh, excited me, us being car guys, it's, you know, revving sales right. into the fourth gear. Uh, you know, what exactly are the growth gears and how do they lead to driving business, but most importantly, revenue forward? It's such a great question and interesting and important answer. And so part of my frustration over my career in the industrials with marketing, as I mentioned before, has been this real focus on most of us academically learned about the four P's, right? Product, place, oh, yeah. price, and promotion. and Typically, we go to that fourth P all the time, which is the promotion when we have these other important things. So when we look at the link actually to the four P's, I say I say this link from the four P's to the three G's, which are the three gears. And it's really a process. So uh, that first gear is insights. And, and these, it's a it's a very linear process. If you do it ideally, you start with insights and you comprehensively understand your market, uh, your customers, your competition, and where the white space, where the attractive white space is. And once you do that, uh, you come up with really a typically a pretty good list of strategic hypotheses or options that can drive your strategy. So that's the insights gear. It's the first cog. We then move to the second gear, which is strategy development. So this is developing the strategy based on those strategic hypotheses that you developed in the insights step or gear. And the deliverable from that strategy work is to identify the top three to five growth levers that the whole organization is going to rally around and actually drive in the market as a part of the three-year strategic plan. So strategy is the second gear. And then we move into execution. And so execution is really about how the company, the organization is aligned and will fund and resource all of those marketing activities to drive sales effectiveness that are in alignment with what the market insights told you 
and what your strategic growth levers are. And it's really that simple. So that, Tim, is what we take that process and actually institutionalize every aspect of it into businesses or clients that we work with. So the the gears obviously make make steps, right? And it, it boils it down nicely, nicely. You know, another one is like AIDA, right? Awareness, interest, desire, action. So I, I, yeah. I love that you have, you know, the four cogs, the four gears. Now, when you look at execution, right? Taking the insights, taking the strategy, and then saying, all right, we're going to, we're going to go execute on this. You know, as, as a company, sometimes you hear rules, right? You'll hear, oh, you should spend, you know, 10% of your revenue uh, on marketing to, you know, reinvest into making more noise, you know, getting more leads, being more places, whatever type of marketing you're going about, yeah. you know, what, what would you say to follow? Do you think that there's a certain percentage of revenue that companies should say, all right, we're going to take those insights and strategy, and then we're going to put 10%, 8%, 20% into executing? Or do you think it just totally depends on your bracket size? Are you a 1 million to 10 million? Are you 10 million to hundred million? What are your thoughts there? And, and how can marketers kind of best apply the gears into what's best for their business? It's a little bit of a tough question because at least in my experience, I've seen that vary a lot depending on the kind of business you're in and and, and also at what stage the business is in, you know, in its uh, maturity. And what I mean by that is I've been in startups where that investment's a lot higher and I've been in pretty established, large, multi-billion dollar companies where it's it's more stable, right? But I think what I would highlight and... This is going to sound like a really low percentage, but in those bigger established companies in industrials I'm talking about, which is also another very specific arena. I mean, it's typically been in the 1% to 2% spend as a percent of total sales. So, you know, if you took a $100 million business, that would be a million dollars, right? Right. So I, I, I'm not saying that that's the right number, but I, what, what I would say is that what I have found is getting back to in that execution gear, it's all about efficiency, right? And maximizing your spend and aligning it with the strategy. I have typically found that uh, there's a lot of inefficiency in the spend because that other work's not been done. And I'll, I'll just give an example. Like, I mean, in many of the businesses I've been in over the years, if you do the pie chart on the discretionary spend and marketing, typically mm -hmm. 50 to 60 Five zero to six zero percent of that spend has been allocated to traditional trade shows. Wow! And and it's probably one of the least measurable ROI spend categories in the marketing mix, right? And so I think there's a huge amount of opportunity actually to reallocate. So even you know even if uh, your spend's one percent and that's a million dollars, right? I think there's huge opportunity to really look hard at what's driving return on investment, and, and especially with new emerging digital digital technology, to be reallocating spend to where you can really drive demand generation and uh, and measure it. You know, I think the measuring side is is so important, right? When when you own media channels, for example, you get so much first party data because you own that channel, right? Yes. It's, it's it's everything owned as opposed to advertising, which is everything rent. You know, I I, I speak I think for everybody in B two B that we're excited trade shows are back, right? We're excited to get our our colleagues and specifically the sales teams there on the floor selling and and sure. uh, networking and seeing our friends in the industry, seeing all of our clients in one room. But, you know, kind of personal hot take is I think every company, if you're going to these trade shows and you're not creating a hybrid 
experience Absolutely. where, hey, yes, we're at the show and we're, you know, fist bumping and, and scanning badges, but at the same time, taking two hours and doing a keynote from your booth to a digital audience, demonstrating your products from your booth to a digital Absolutely. audience and expanding that, uh, you know, it, it, people in B2B say, well, why should I do that? Well, you know, if, if you think about it, you watch a sports game live, let's say you're watching, you know, the home run derby tonight, there are going to be fans in the stadium and there's going to be a ton of fans watching all around the country, including myself. If you watch the Oscars, you know, there's going to be fans and uh, actors and actresses and artists and everything uh, there, but then there's going to be millions of people watching from home. So I think companies need to realize if you're going to spend the money to be at trade shows, you need to protect it and invest money to be able to broadcast from those shows too. Absolutely. You know, th there's some, I've just read some great survey information in the last week on this exact subject. And the topic was around B2B demand generation content effectiveness by the funnel stage. And so it looked and it surveyed, uh, you know, B2B companies on where they saw value in the funnel, whether it was at the top of the mm -hmm. funnel, the middle of the funnel, the bottom of the funnel, or not effective at any stage. And it's so interesting, videos, live events, webcasts, vir virtual events, all show significant top of the funnel value in terms of demand gen effectiveness, and also all the way through the, the mid phase of the funnel. So really early in the cycle, it's showing significant value creation. And I mean, like in the, in the neighborhood of 80% wow. uh, in terms of videos and 75% in terms of virtual and webcasts. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll share, you know, I can't share who, which clients, but I'm working with a couple of mid-market clients now who aren't leveraging this at all today. So this is huge opportunity and with really very minimal investment. And that's back to our budget allocation discussion, right? So just by simply taking uh, some great video of applications that they're performing for customers and posting them and then using some of the digital technology to scale that up out to customers. It's an extremely effective method to drive demand generation. I, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, I think there's been a misconception over time that it's not a platform to, to create demand generation. But, you know, if you think about the buyer's journey, it's just changed so much over the years, right? For if, sure. If buyers, they want to be educated before they talk to a sales team, right? They want to have that time where they do their research and they understand and they can answer kind of basic questions. Now they look at the sales team to be able to provide, you know, some deeper questions, provide a good experience, and then obviously be the motivation to get them. And yeah, I think if, if, if I'm a marketer in, in the B2B space, no matter what size my company is, one of the biggest companies in the world, AT&T, or a startup out of you know anywhere, like even Silicon Valley, if you're not investing into that media content, like you said, and realizing the top of funnel it's going to drive, then I think you're definitely late to the party. For sure. And, and for sure, there's no doubt COVID is a part of that driving transformation, right? So Absolutely. yeah, you know, maybe a year ago, we weren't talking as much about the link to demand gen, but but it absolutely is shifting. I agree. I, I think it expedited it by by definitely a couple years. For sure. So to kind of think of that, right? You, you know, you mentioned the big M earlier. Do you see the M moving from marketing to media? And now I'm funneling trade shows and advertising more traditional uh, routes into marketing and media being to your point, live video podcasting. Absolutely. Do you see, do you see, do you think the transition's taking place? 
Uh, absolutely. It, you know, it's back to my mix shift point earlier. Actually, in that case, I was highlighting the trade show, kind of the traditional trade show component of that, right? But I see the exact same thing in the advertising arena. So, I mean, you still have a lot of, you know, quote, advertising happening, but more so digitally now, right? So I see that shift. Uh, you're still going to always have the need for some advertising, but I see it maybe in a different medium. So in a digital medium compared to your, your more traditional print uh, mediums from the past. What sort of mediums do you see popping up? I, I, I had an interesting conversation last night, uh, actually with my brother, and we were talking about, uh, I'll, I'll give you the, the background. It was my mom's birthday, and um, we were all grabbing dinner with my, my parents and my brothers and my, my niece and sister-in-law. But uh, my dad mentioned he was watching the show on Netflix. He loved these sunglasses that the main character in the show was watching. He Googled, he tracked them down, and he said that he might order them. And it's kind of funny. Yeah. My dad's, you know, 70-year-old man, so it's funny hearing him talk this way. But we talked about, you know, what if Netflix added platform ability to where literally when these, you know, characters are wearing these sunglasses or these outfits that you could have the information of that product right then and there, a little advertisement, and then you could even click to buy right through the platform. So is that kind of what you mean? You see advertising shifting into totally new mediums like that, or, or are you thinking something different or that as well? I think so. You know, in, I mean, in, in the, or my core competency primarily has been is in the manufacturing or the non-residential yep. construction arenas, right? But so providing you know, access to technical information in different ways. So you could build on the, your example that you just used, but be able to provide that in a more value added way through digital technology and video installation and application kind of leverage, right? I just, I just see any way that enables the customer to more easily, you know, access value added information is going, is going to be accelerated. I absolutely agree with that. You know, what are some other shifts that you see? So if we move away from advertising, so we've talked about how we're seeing, you know, marketing moving more into media, seeing advertising being around, just being a lot more, you know, uh, digitally focused. What other shifts do you see taking place, uh, you know, in marketing that everybody should be aware of? Maybe it's a year or two down the road, but it's something to start, you know, thinking about now if you're more traditional B2B company. Well, for sure, in the B2B traditional manufacturing arenas, the entire arena, uh, you know, of a MarTech platform, you know, and, and, and still, Tim, today, in many cases, a lot of the smaller and medium-sized businesses are not even really very familiar with what that means, right? So, you know, how you're utilizing all of the MarTech stack to gain leverage. And so looking at, you know, how do you first attract customers? Uh, secondly, once you attract them, how do you engage them? And then once you start scaling up the engagement, how do you actually, you know, measure that return on investment and how that's working for you? And so I'm also seeing, uh, you know, this, this kind of thing and some of the new client work that I'm doing where it's just, currently today not leveraged at all because most of the owners or founders in those businesses are, are more like me actually they're you know in their in their mid 50s and this is kind of a new arena but it's one really that all owners and founders have to understand so that they 
can leverage scaling up mm-hmm. those businesses, you know, in, in, a, in a more non-traditional way. Because also, you know, guess what? The, the buyers that are now starting to buy their products and services are also more technically digital savvy. And in many cases, you know, younger, right? So they're using that technology to buy their product. It's true. You know, a lot of millennials, I believe, are 36 to 38 right now. And those are a lot of the, yeah. you know, that's kind of the age group that you see moving into VP roles, director roles, and, and being able to make this purchasing. So I, I think Definitely. you're right there. I think there's this big wave to where a lot of folks now in decision-making roles in B2B, um, you know, grew up with, uh, you know, the internet to start and uh, mobile devices to start to build off of that and, and so on. You know, you look at, you know, startups and kind of mid-size, mid-market companies, and it's very easy it's very easy to go too past. You know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, startups might spend more than than 1%. They might go, you know, a lot more than that. Some might put it all back into product development. You know, being in the fractional CMO space and and working with companies of all types, you know, why do you think startups to mid-market companies need more emphasis on media than maybe, you know, more of the established 100 million plus dollar companies in an industry? Oh, it's a great question. And I can give you real practical examples of two clients I'm working with right now, which is they, they've they just not uh, established the contacts, the contact intelligence and the key decision maker intelligence, which they need, right, to scale up more rapidly. So what's really cool about the new technologies that exist today is in the old days, you know, we'd have to go out and pound the pavement, (laughs) knock on doors, right. And find these customers and people out there in the market. And so today with a lot of the new technology that exists, things, you know, like the B2B, probably the, well, it is the largest B2B platforms, LinkedIn, right. And so LinkedIn's got millions of potential buyers on there and using different kind of digital technology solutions, you you know, we're today able to profile accounts and profile market segments and drill into um, key decision makers by title. And even more importantly, leverage some of the AI technology that allows for you to profile instead of being able to call on say 10 or 15 uh, target prospective accounts per week as a salesperson, hundreds and thousands per month of touch points, leveraging the technology to get targeted surgical messaging on your value proposition to these decision makers. So really for startups, and it's not expensive uh, technology, you know, these are cloud-based subscription services. They're extremely affordable and it gets back to leveraging media. So having, you know, a good content strategy and tailoring it to the target market. So you're talking in their terminology, the message and the contents of value add and interesting, you know, and delivering it to them through these new technologies. And again, back to videos and webcasts and virtual events and, and even some digital advertising as well, right? So I, I think it just completely changes the game for more, you know, traditional manufacturers that did that a completely different way. Even I'd, I'd say even like five or seven years ago, it was completely different than today. It's absolutely completely different. 
And, you know, you see things happening in today's world too. Like Google had that huge uh, SEO update about a month or two ago right. where it basically put so much emphasis on mobile. And, you know, seven or eight yeah. years ago, obviously that wouldn't have wouldn't have been a thing as, as much. You know, one of the, the areas too that I, I think smaller companies can take advantage of is I think the digital space has, maybe it's changing, but uh, up to now has been really designed for the smaller to mid-sized companies. And the reason why is when it's digital, you can be way more nimble, right? When you're a smaller company, you don't have as much sure. red tape to go through. You don't have as much approval. You don't have as many hoops in process, but you could say, hey, we want to get thought leadership on this topic. Head engineer, jump on or CEO, jump on or leading salesperson, come on, here's a platform to talk. And you're able to just move so fast and start publishing more and more and more and you know, starting to build that community around your brand by by taking that path and something that the mid to larger companies can't do. I, I can give another recent example. I mean, l literally uh, in the last two weeks, so um, one, one of the clients I'm working with never posted a single post on their LinkedIn homepage, if you can imagine, because they're small and really didn't know the value of that. So we hosted, back to the media point, we hosted the first engineering-focused webcast around applications. And we had 130 engineers attend that webcast and generated, I think, five or six really high-quality leads after the call with new customers. Mm. And that's kind of, that's the whole point, right, on... Um, leveraging the combination of, you know, um, media and digital technology to get value added content, content right to the right decision makers. It's powerful. It is. You go, you go direct. It's, it makes a total difference. Well, perfect. Well, Randy, you know, I think we could both talk uh, all day sure. about uh, media and, and where the landscape is headed so much. So I think, that we're going to need to do a uh, volume two uh, on this because I, I know that we we both to. have a lot more to say. Uh, how about we sign off here on a fun game since we're both car guys? We started with cars and we end with cars. You, you down for right. you down for a quick game? Let's do it. All right. What we're going to do? We're, we're going to call it uh, this or that. I'm going to name two car manufacturing groups or even maybe a specific type of car, and uh, you get to pick the one uh, that you would have out of those two. All right. You ready? Okay. Got it. Yes. All right. Uh, Porsche or Aston Martin? Porsche. Shelby AC Cobra or an Austin Healey? Shelby. Ferrari or Lamborghini? Lambo. Bentley or Rolls Royce? Ooh. Do I have to pick one? <laughs> <laughs> For the sake of the game. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, Bentley. All right. Now we'll do the, the remix of it. The Bentley SUV or the Rolls Royce SUV? I would still go with the Bentley SUV. All right. Mercedes or BMW? BMW. Land Rover or FJ Cruiser? Land Rover. Bugatti or Ford GT? Bugatti. <laughs> That's my dream. That's my, I love that car. I was about to say, that sounds like your dream car with the way you just said Bugatti. Yes. Oh gosh. Pure when, art on wheels. It truly, it truly is. Well, that's it. I, I think I agreed with, uh, all of those. Uh, I, I think uh, I would probably pick Rolls Royce and um, mm. Mercedes. But other than that, right. I, I agree We're with them all. Close. <laughs> 
Pretty close. Pretty close. Well, uh, Randy, thank you so much for joining on today. And, and like I said, I think volume two needs to happen. Great, Tim. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. And all you listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Scaling Up. Reach out to myself or reach out to Randy Brown directly. You can reach him on uh, LinkedIn or you can find him uh, with Chief Outsiders or Livestream Interchange. Until next time, y'all. Y'all take care.